going to transition straight into the message today. Can we do that? If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 6. Uh, you can do it online. You can follow along on the screen. You can follow along. Uh, you'll see it on your, your television or your phone as you're watching online today. We're in a series called Brick by Brick. I've already alluded to what's happening in the life of our church. We believe that God is, is rebuilding his church right now. Uh, Post-pandemic, many churches didn't meet for some time, and so there's a, a natural rebuilding that's, that's taking place. What is God calling you to do, and what are the purposes that God has put in your life and in your heart? What about the purposes of our church and this family? What's God doing here? And so we've been looking at just the foundations of what a vibrant, healthy church looks like and what that means for you. Everything from what it looks like for you to share your faith and talk about what you've seen God do in your own life. From prayer and praying dangerous, courageous, bold prayers and asking God to use you to even last week talking about the fear of God and what it looks like for a church to be reverent and in awe and obedient to God. Now we're going to make a shift today to Acts chapter 6. Before we do, let me ask you this question. When is the last time you were putting something together, okay, and you got to the end of it and you had a bunch of pieces left over, okay? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you don't follow the directions, right? You're the, you're, you're just, you, you see it and you're like, I got this. And then you get to the end and there's, there are pieces left over and you can tell that they're the kind of pieces that have some importance to it. Right, if you've ever put together something from IKEA, right, you know the pain of this moment. Or if you like to put together Legos as an adult, or let's be honest, on behalf of your children, right? You're, you're doing Legos on their behalf, not yours. You get to the end of the bag, and they always have extra pieces. And at the end of your of the Lego directions, always extras. That way, you know, you got the little piece that falls off the table, rolls under the couch. It's like no big deal. I got an extra one right here. But then there are the pieces at the end of the Lego set where you look at it and you're like, this, hmm, that does not look like an extra. This looks like a critical piece. And I'm the kind of person, maybe you're like me, I can't live like that, okay? I gotta strip the entire thing down and start over and know exactly where that piece went. Some of you, I see you rolling your eyes because you're like, yes. That's me, or that's my, that's my spouse, or my friend, or whatever. You know the pain of this. I can't live knowing that this critical piece has not found its proper home, okay? I can't sleep. Maybe that's an exaggeration. As we're talking about church and ministry, we can laugh about the extra pieces that don't really matter and they're not very critical. And we laugh about the critical pieces not getting in the game. What happens many times in the life of a church over and over again is that people underestimate who they are in the life of a church. And many times they treat themselves like they're just an extra. That doesn't have a whole lot of importance when in fact you're actually critical. And I want you to hear this today. 9.30 service, and they're gonna, we're going to hear it again at 11. You are critical to what God is doing in the life of his church. You're critical to what's happening here in Kennesaw. 
You're critical to what is taking place in the life of God's kingdom. You've got to hear this. Don't get stuck in churchy language and churchy moments. Hear this. What God wants to do through you is not insignificant. I want you to hear that. God has a part for you to play. Acts chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Acts chapter 6 verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It's an unusual text for us to read. What's happening here? What's the context for this? Because what we have is the church. It's getting out of the gate. It's growing. People are getting saved. People are following Jesus. It's an exciting time. And we're beginning to run into problems. A church is only a church because of people. But anytime you add people together with other people, you know what you get? Problems. If you remember Mace back in the day in the 90s when I was growing up, mo money, mo problems. That's not right. It's mo people. More people, more problems, okay? That's how it works. And that's no slight to humans. That's no slight to you or a church. That is just reality. And we are running into some problems here. You have Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews. Here's what's taking place. The church is growing, and you've got a worship service that is happening in Aramaic and Hebrew, but there's a group of people who don't speak Hebrew. They don't, they don't speak Aramaic. They're Greek-speaking. And so what would have normally been everybody together, now you have multiple, you have multiple synagogues, you have multiple rabbis, you have multiple teachers, multiple disciples, etc., etc. It's not malicious, it doesn't have the intent of, of being mean-spirited, but you literally have groups that are forming around language. And the most dominant speaking group is the Aramaic, Hebrew-speaking Jews, and then you have those who've been converted, Gentiles who are speaking Greek, hanging out with Greek-speaking Jews. And lo and behold, who's getting overlooked in the ministry of the word, in the ministry of food literally being passed out to those in need? It's the Greek-speaking Jews, the Greek service. That's what's happening here. Now, I want to to hear this because some of you have experienced church hurts before. I'm not asking people to raise their hands in this moment. If you've been around church long enough, you have experienced some pains and bumps and hurts. 
But I want you to hear this with, with, with grace today. I'm not saying that there's never malicious or uh, moments or abusive moments that happen in a church. That does happen, tragically. But in nearly 20 years of ministry, what, what I see happen more often than not is people experiencing the pain of feeling forgotten and overlooked. And that's what we have here. It's a pain point. You guys with me? It's outside the normative rhythms because what's happening is the Aramaic, Hebrew-speaking Jews, they don't go over to the Gentile part of Jerusalem. They're not hanging out together. They have different customs. They worship differently. They eat different food. They work different jobs. It's two different worlds, and it's outside the rhythm of their normative paths of ministry. I have a chandelier in my house in the foyer, and in my chandelier are all these light bulbs, and every single one of them has gone out. There might be one left, okay? And I'm not joking when I say it. And you know what's never happened in the course of like three years? I've never changed the light bulbs in my chandelier. To be honest with you, I didn't even remember it until I was thinking of like an illustration last night. Last night, you know, I come back to this. I'm like, okay, I need, one, I, need a, I need an illustration to help reinforce this. The truth of the matter is my chandelier is going to do the job because it is outside the normative rhythm of what I do as a man in my house. I am not thinking about renting equipment that will get me up high enough into the ceiling to be able to change the bulbs in my chandelier. I don't know how much it'll cost. I don't know who I need to call. I don't know where I need to go. I don't know the kind of bulb that needs replacing. And I don't want to do it. Okay, I don't want to do it. And so consequently, we walk into the home, it's evening time, and it's a little bit dark in the foyer. But is it destroying the entire fabric of my home? No. Our home is still fully, for the most part, functional. And that's what's happening here in the church. Is there a problem? Yes. Is the Titanic sinking? No. Is there water coming on the boat? Yeah, just a little bit. And if left alone, it will become a much larger problem. Does that make sense this morning? Okay, so what is it that the church does in the midst of, of problems? They look to empower leaders. They look to empower people to serve and to make a difference. This is the call of our church and literally the season that we are finding ourselves in right now. You'll notice, what, what is it that the church did? The church started growing. The church added disciples. The church's people are, are coming to faith. The word of God is being preached and taught. And an amazing thing happens. These priests become obedient to the faith, the Bible says. This is of note because these are the people who literally arrested Jesus and had him nailed to a cross. This is Peter and, and John who were just recently beaten. And now these priests, their eyes are being opened to the reality of who Jesus was and is. And they're putting their faith in Jesus Christ. The impossible is being made possible. But here's what's happening. When people understand their part to play, 
It's amazing what can be accomplished in the kingdom. You have a part to play. What was it that happened? Well, you'll notice that the whole church was pleased when the apostles stopped doing everything. <laughs> and you can ask my, our team here at the church, when, when I do less, everyone's happier, okay? When I'm not administrating things, everyone's like, thank God. Andy is not trying to organize the food distribution, right? There are many times that leaders try to do too much. Guilty as charged. But when the church is functioning well, everyone is, is doing something. Think of just the things that are taking place in food distribution in this moment. Number one, they've appointed seven people. And they're strategic about it because several of these names are what? They're Greek-speaking names. They're Greek names. Meaning they, they made sure that they got some people who knew what was going on on the other side of town, who could speak to it, who were wise, who were full of the spirit of God and full of wisdom. And they released them to do ministry. But think about it. You got people who are organizing names. Okay, we got, we got so-and-so over on this street, and here's the address, here's the name. You got people who are packing food. You got people going to the, to the market and getting the food. Then you got people delivering it. Then you got people doing follow-up, right? That's like, hey, how did that work out? You know, do you need to be, do you need, are you still on the list? What are, what are things looking like for next month or next week? Think of all the things. And this is just one lane of ministry. And yet when the church understands the mission and the vision of what we're trying to accomplish, we want to see disciples established in heart mind and action when we catch that and we know without a shadow of a doubt that it's jesus who changes everything well you know what it's like a fire inside of me to do anything and everything that needs to get done in order for the kingdom to be established making sense today that's what happened As a pastor, I have to tell you, you know, I'm also a numbers guy. If you, you've heard me say this before, I love data as my voice cracks. <clears throat> Excuse me. I love information. I love understanding. You know, I'm the guy that loves to read the, you know, the latest stats on this and that. And I love knowing the what. But what's really important for us to understand is the why. And many times in ministry settings, in leadership settings, we get a really good dose of the what. We don't understand the why. And my wife asked me this earlier, and it took me by surprise because I hadn't asked myself this, this question. She said, why do you do this every week? Like, why do you do it? You need to, you need to answer this for yourself, Andy. Why are you doing this? In other words, not only why am I doing this, but why, why do we see this happening? We see the apostles teaching and preaching, and we see other people stepping up to serve and other people leading. Philip literally goes on, and his name is Philip the Evangelist. Okay, He does signs and wonders and is known for his preaching and teaching. And you know where he starts? He starts by making sure that people who are hungry have food to eat. His primary gifting is evangelism. 
And yet this is where he begins. What is it that caused these men to step up and to say, yes, use me, whatever it takes? And of course, my wife asked me the same question. Why do you do this? Why are you working to move the church into a historic building and bang your head on the wall with outlets that aren't working and kinks and this and that? Why does this matter to you? And we don't see, we don't get this answer directly in the Bible in this moment. We don't get to ask Nicanor and Nicholas, why'd you, see, why'd you do this? But when I look at answering it for my own life, I have a feeling it's probably something very similar in theirs. So I started writing down a list of why this matters to me. I've tried to preach this to myself, and I haven't been able to do it without getting emotional. So buckle up. If you're online, (laughs) strap in in this moment. I love the church. I grew up in the church in St. Louis, Missouri. And it was in the church that I learned literally the Bible. I learned the Bible. I learned what God had to say. I saw my parents read it. My parents were amazing parents, but Bible class and going to Bible school back when there was when there was Sunday school, when it was still called that, back when, when, okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You grew up going to Sunday school, but it was ingrained in me, and you grew up learning what God, his word, had to say about you, and it was deeply ingrained into who I was. And in my church growing up, we sang hymns. And Amy will tell you, when I'm in a good mood, just walking around the house, rarely is it the current worship music that comes out. It's the old school hymns that are just literally the Bible set to a song. And it just comes out, comes out in the shower, in the kitchen, walking around. And it's just, it's, when I'm squeezed, this is what comes out. And it was put in there through the church, the collective body, the preaching, the teaching, and the worship. And here I am at 40, and it still is leaking out. Church is where I learned what it looks like to love people. And I don't mean to say that I didn't learn that in my house. My parents were wonderful people. My sister, now that's an exception, okay? She's watching right now. But we learned how to love people. You saw the church come and labor with people through what? Their really hard times. Through the loss of a child. The inability to become pregnant. The loss of a job. Not knowing what to do. uh, Being overwhelmed. I saw the, the church be what the body is supposed to be as people were going through impossibly difficult times and wonderfully Amazing times. We got to see, I grew up seeing the celebratory moments, baptisms, birthdays. All of that was with my church family. And we walked together for decades. It was in the church that as an awkward, unbelievably awkward teenager, 
that I felt like I had a place that I could go to and belong. And when I say that I was an awkward teenager, I am not making light of it. I had glasses the size of the Hubble Space Telescope strapped to my face. It was an awkward time, okay? Middle school was not an easy time for Pastor Andy. And I say that jokingly. I mean, it, was a, it truly was a hard time. But you know where I felt safe and accepted and where I grew was at my church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, also life group in the middle of the week. I mean, we gave so much time and energy to it, and it formed me, and it shaped me, and I'm grateful for it. It was the church I was a part of in college that embraced this idea of lordship, and I'd never heard this before, that, that the victory of Christ can actually be mine, and that I don't have to be a slave to sin. I know I read about it in the Bible, but it was one thing to read it, and it was another thing to live it. And my church taught me how to actually live this out, that Jesus is the Lord of my life, and that his authority can actually lift me up out of the pit of sin, and I can live differently. I don't have to be stuck and trapped all the time. My church taught me that. My church taught me how to be passionate for Jesus. That faith doesn't have to be boring. It didn't have to be irrelevant that, that I could be passionate for Christ and be a little bit crazy and stand on a stage and sweat and preach for him because he had changed me and made me new. That Jesus was worth being passionate about. I learned that in the church. Changed me. When my dad died and I was about 25, Amy and I were all, I was, I was literally celebrating Thanksgiving with Amy not too far from St. Louis and I got the call that my dad had had a heart attack and you know, we got in the car and we're driving to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, you know who it was there? My church. I mean, fill in the parking lot. Walking into the emergency room, who was there? It was the church that was there. Lying in the hallways, hugging, praying, crying doing whatever they could do to be the church in this moment. I've never forgotten it. And when we drove home later that evening without my father for the first time, and we got to the driveway of my home, who was it that was waiting outside my house? It was, the, it was our church. Open the front door, and I'll never forget one of, one of my mom's friends pulling me aside and helping me quietly go up the stairs to my parents' bedroom and showing me what to do in this moment so that my, so my mom wouldn't have to do it. But my dad's watch where it goes picking up dirty clothes. Because you know, every husband leaves dirty clothes on the ground. It's kind of a, it's something you have to do. <laughs> it's the one thing people are going to remember from the message. It was, the, it, was, it was my church 
that was thinking about my mom. It was the church that was thinking about me and my sister. And it was the church that brought food for weeks on end. It was the church. I don't have an iPad big enough or paper that will store all the things that I have experienced in the life of being part of God's church. But I want you to understand this idea that when you know what God has done in your life, when you really know it, you can't help but want to see him do it in somebody else's. You can't help but want it. And when Amy asked me, why do you do this? It's because I'm forever grateful for Jesus and what he's done. And when the church functions as the church and we love each other the way we're called to love each other and we love the people on the outside of these four walls the way we're called to love each other, I want to lead. I want to serve. It is, my, it is my privilege to preach and teach and to call attention to things that we need to give our attention to as a church and raise up other people who will serve and lead and literally give their life away to the mission of God. When you know what God has done for you, there is something inside of you that can't wait for other people to experience it. Where do I need to serve? Sign me up. Sign me up. Whatever it takes, whatever the need. What I love about Acts chapter 6 is that we're reminded that God's mission is not for the few. It's not for the gifting of a few, but rather the gifting of all. And everyone has a part to play, including you. Some of you have experienced many of the things that I just shared. Maybe the context looks a little different. You've experienced prayer. You've experienced people being there for you. You may also have experienced feeling forgotten and overlooked. That, that can happen too. But as the church grows and as people serve and as, as the, the body is becoming more of the fullness of God, this is what we get to do. It's our tremendous privilege. We get to do this. We get to love each other. We get to give our life away. Ephesians 3.10 says this. It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God. It's the, the many-layered wisdom of God. It's like a, a disco ball. If you've ever taken a flashlight and you shine that single light around a room, it's not very impressive. But if you hang a disco ball in the middle of a room and put some light on it, all of the little pieces, when they come together, it's, uh, your mouth drops because it looks so cool. It looks awesome. It looks beautiful. It's awe-inspiring. The church is the manifold wisdom of God on display. When people are to see the church, they're supposed to see all the different facets of God's character and power and majesty on display through your life. Not just me, not just Patrick who's leading worship, not just the gifting of a few, 
but the gifting of all. And it highlights who God is. And when we do this, what is it that happens? The church grows. The church grows. People come to faith. People you thought were impossible to come to faith. Come to faith. I'll leave you with this. Actually, you know, I'll save that for next week. Here's what I want us to do. We're going to pray, and then I have one simple action step for you today. It's very simple. <laughs> but it's going to make a difference in the life of our church. Stand to your feet for me. This is for you. If you're watching online, I realize you may not be standing to your feet in this moment. We're going to pray, but the action step is just as much for you as it is for people who are in, uh, who are watching, excuse me, those who are in person right now. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you that what we get to do together as a church, God, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like being a part of the spiritual family and seeing life change and seeing our, children, our children's lives change. and God, just all the different things from people being healed to forgiveness to God, all the problems that we get to overcome as a people. And God, I'm asking right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us as a church. Lord, our local church right here. God, we have challenges in front of us. I pray right now that you would raise up a fresh generation of people who love and long to serve and to lead. God, do it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I mentioned this to you already. Here's what I want you to, to consider doing. I realize we use, we kind of cloak things in, in ministry terms, like I'll pray about it. I don't know that you really need to pray too much about this. That's right, I just said that. Take your phone for a second and, and you can go either to the, the homepage here in just a moment or when you text HP Info to 97000, there's a little link that says, I want to serve. There's all these different things that you can check and different ways to get involved. And I mean, these are preview services. Our next one is the end of July. And what we're doing this month is we're rebuilding our teams. And we're going to need people who can lead teams and people who are amazing administrators and people who are great at detail management and people who are great at greeting and smiling and other people in, 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 in the subsequent weeks. We're going to need people who are, who are the, the, the food deliverers, so to speak. There's a thousand and one ways to get involved, to serve, to make a difference. And the reason we do it is because we know what Jesus has done in our life. And when we catch the revelation of what he's done, there's nothing we're not willing to try and not willing to do. Would you join a team? Would you show interest in a team? <laughs> Check a box. Get involved. Give your life away to someone.